Welcome back to Everyday Disciples, the show where we strive to follow Jesus wherever we are. My name is Adam, and I am one of the producers and editor of this podcast. The contributors to today's content and myself are grateful that you've chosen to invest your time and mental energy in today's content. In the first segment of our show today, we discuss the worldview of secular humanism, its origins and outcroppings, and its permeation of our culture and faith today. In the second segment, we continue our Bibles-only scripture study of the Sermon on the Mount, today discussing treasures on earth and heaven and kingdom values. Again, thank you for being here. Be blessed. Well, welcome to another segment of Everyday Disciples. And today I'm joined with uh, Aiden and Adam here. Uh, the two A's are with me uh, to talk about, we've been kind of talking about some different worldviews that are out there that we, we face around here. And the worldview that we wanted to talk about today is the worldview of secular humanism. Um, you may or may not be familiar with that term, but I'm pretty sure you're familiar with the ideas of that worldview because it's kind of everywhere around us. Uh, maybe just kind of right off the bat, guys, where, where, do you, uh, where do you see people encountering that worldview today? Well, I think secular humanism is probably something that's very much alive on, um, like a lot of liberal arts campuses, um, where young people are exploring what they believe, and they have their philosophy 101 class, and uh, secular humanism probably derives or uh, is sort of the culmination of um, agnosticism or atheism, Um, if we can't be sure they're you know, there is a God or there is no God. Um, I have to have some sort of anchor in the storm. I guess it's uh, the goodness of me. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It can probably be traced back to the Enlightenment era. Because um, secular hu- humanism, like Adam said, kind of grounded in human reason and philosophy that your beliefs and your morals and your ethics, they don't necessarily need a religious faith or any kind of belief but instead can be kind of discovered through what you believe is correct. Um, now, there's a lot of flaws there, and we'll probably talk about them in a little bit. But I think the motivating factors behind secular humanism are like the pursuit of happiness and pleasure. Um, and then on the flip side, that means fleeing any kind of pain or suffering or struggle that would not bring the first two things. Um, and you can almost see it in like a a Christian context or like Christian adjacent being people who say, you know, I like Jesus, but his, his followers aren't my favorite, that kind of thing Um, where they don't see the need for like the church. And they're like, yeah, Jesus was a good teacher, but wasn't necessarily God. Right. And even then too, they'll kind of edit down Jesus just to the teachings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Perfect example of that is Thomas Jefferson, one of the founding fathers. Um, I think we have this belief that the founding fathers were all like, Bible thumping, just like woke up, had their quiet times at 4.30 a.m. We're all just loving Jesus. And that really just wasn't the case. I think we've kind of rewritten that part of U.S. history. A lot of the founding fathers were deists. They were um, humanists. They were uh, uh, universalists. Like they they weren't, there weren't a ton of of followers of Jesus as the founding fathers of the U.S. But uh, Thomas Jefferson himself, he was known for having a Bible where he just kind of crossed out all of the uh, miracles and anything that had to do with the supernatural, he just like got rid of. Um, yep, very edited, cut down yes. Bible. 
yeah, we have that kind of rosy picture of you, you throw out a couple terms like deist and humanist, um, which, you know, maybe we're not super familiar with those terms either. You know, that kind of, I, I've always heard deism uh, as like the, the clockmaker. So the God, that they believed in God, in that God created things, set the world in motion, and then stepped away and let the clock do its thing. Uh, so that, you know, it's not that, that God is in any way really involved in sustaining the world. Um, God just simply set it out to, to go. And I think, uh, you know, humanism, which I think turns into secular humanism here, um, is maybe kind of where that, that expresses itself today, but, but with the God part just totally removed. So in deism, God stepped away. Now in hum- secular humanism, God is just not part of the conversation at all. I've got here a list uh, that I'd come across. Um, <clears throat> the uh, the common elements in secular humanism. There's five of them here, and I think these these do a pretty good job of kind of summarizing the overall uh, tenets of secular humanism. So you guys are hearing this for the first time. Kind of maybe react to some of these. Um, the the first one right off the bat is non-theism. Um, so that there just is no God. Uh, that's that's a part of of uh, the secular humanism. Uh, naturalism is essential to it, uh, which follows from that denial of theism. So everything in the universe must be explained in terms of natural laws alone. So there's no room for God. We have the equation has to be closed without God or without any outside intervention. Uh, evolution is the secular humanist way to explain origins. Um, everything has to come about then from within a closed system where, where there's no supernatural creator at all. Uh, ethical relativism um, is kind of a uniting thing, so there's no absolutes in there. You cannot say never or always or this is always right or always wrong. It's very relative based on the situation. Um, and then the fifth one is human self-sufficiency uh, as a central tenet. So... Um, Humans can solve all their problems if they just try hard enough. We don't need to rely on God. We don't need to rely on anything other than ourselves. We can do it. So uh, this, this, uh, what do you think? React back to those. What do you, what do you think of those five tenets? Well, immediately I, you get the sense that um, it's, it's the exact opposite of the gospel and uh, the faith that we profess, you know, um, and, and all of those, what were there five of them? Yeah, each of them, each five of them there, um, you know, as Christians, we have a response to that, or we have a, we have an alternative view to every one of those things. Um, what a terrifying world. If, if ethics are relative, um, then, then who gets to decide what's the right set? Um... So majority rules, right? I mean, it, hopefully. It, it, well, but I mean, that's that's our world right now. Yeah. I mean, here in America, it's we'll we'll vote on whether it's right or wrong. And right. once we've voted, well, then it's this is what it is now. Mm-hmm. Until we decide down the road, we're going to vote again. Right, and that that's the other you know impression I got is that there is just no there's no foundation to any of that. It's just uh, blowing in the wind. Yeah, you know. And, and those are the five like defining characteristics. But I think the things that that secular humanism stands for is is pretty similar to the Christian faith, um, where like secular humanism will identify a lot of the same values of the kingdom of God. You know, love, joy, peace, justice, mercy. Um, 
it's just it's Christianity with paralleled content, but it's just kind of void of any association with God. Um, this is, I, I I took this from from pastor and and social commentator Mark Sayers, but we want the kingdom without the king. We want all the things that come from uh, what the kingdom of God stands for. We just don't want Jesus on the throne because that means a lot of other things for us that we don't want. Like we don't want the uh, the need to obey. We don't want submission to um, a higher authority. We don't, we don't want to believe, or we don't want to to practice some of the things that that Scripture commands us to. Um, and so, yeah, because I'm I'm not sure I'm 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 just kind of in, internally reacting to that. I, I, do we really want the kingdom without the king? I think we want to be the king of our own kingdom, and because because the kingdom, even without the king, the kingdom at least as it's talked about in scripture still contains a lot of stuff. That's like, that's hard for me. Um, you know, some certain practices and things that are a sacrifice. Um, we might, our, our culture might hold up uh, sacrifice when we, when we see someone doing that, but I don't want to do that myself. Like I'll admire that in someone else, but I don't want to do a sacrifice. I'm glad they did. Um, where I think the kingdom says, no, we all sacrifice. This is something that we all should do and should all want to do, um, or should at least all be willing to do. And yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if I, I, I'm just, you know, kind of thinking out loud as I react to that. I think, I think in a sense, yes, that a secular humanist would, would want love. Uh, the difference would be he the secular humanist wants love on his own terms. Um, the secular humanist is certainly hopeful, but he's not hopeful in anything outside of him, of himself. He's not uh, hopeful in his suffering. Yeah. yeah. They want self-love and friendship love, but not enemy love. Mm. Yes. Or or you want uh, sort of joy, like you want self-joy. You want things that bring pleasure and happiness, but you don't want, like you said, Matthew, like the sacrifice it takes that true joy is found in serving one another and giving up your own for the sake of another Um, or peace. Like what is, what does peace really look like for the, the secular humanist versus for the Christian Um, justice, I think is the biggest one because like we've kind of established like social justice is a a majorly important topic right now in politics and in society. Um, And for the Christian justice is rooted in, in the belief that every human being is made in the image of God. Um, on the side of secular humanism, if you believe in evolution and natural selection, you therefore believe in survival of the fittest. There's no basis for justice there. It's if you aren't going to survive, you don't make it. You don't make the cut. That's, I I don't see justice and, and, and natural selection as, as being um, compatible that I think they're, they're quite at odds with one another. Um, and so justice is one of the big ones, I think, that we kind of get confused nowadays. Because justice is this word that we throw out, we believe that you know, every human has this value. And, and the Christian says, yes, I believe that. Why do you believe that? What is your basis? If you believe it's, th- this is all evolutionary and it's, it's up for you know, whoever makes it deserves to, there, there is no reason to, to stand for justice and to stand for, for your neighbor, to stand for the, the poor, the afflicted, the marginalized, the outcast. Um, and I, I, one more thing, I think the, the, the absolutes thing, um, saying that there is no absolutes is an absolute, right? So that, that, that's kind of flawed in and of itself, (laughs) right? (laughs) Saying that, and what's the Obi-Wan quote, only a Sith deals in absolutes. 
I don't even know if that's related. I just wanted to bring that up right now. You can cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in this worldview, then, you know, the teachings of Jesus, they really become sort of sandbox rules or, or playground rules of just, just be nice. Doggone it, just be nice. Don't kick dirt. And, uh, well, that's all, well, that's all good, fine and good. Like, that's not even half of the the gospel or the truth of what we believe or the or the richness of it. So secular humanism isn't like diet Christianity. It's it's a complete contradiction of it, you know. It's not a mid-ground at all. Mm. Tim Keller once wrote that to move from religion to secularism is not so much a loss of faith as a shift into a new set of beliefs and into a new community of faith, one that draws the lines between orthodoxy and heresy in different places. It's moving the goalposts to where you feel like they should be as opposed to where they were meant to be. Um, and I think, so if the, if the basis of it is human reason and philosophy, like you said, Adam, like that's a terrifying thought um, because human reason cannot be trusted to be the ultimate authority. We, we can't agree on anything at all. I don't know if you've you know, turned on the news in the last decade and a half or so. Um, no, it's not just limited to the last 15 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ever really. But, I mean, in my time, like, uh, yeah, we can't agree on anything. So how are we to believe that humans can develop ethics and morality when every single person falls somewhere differently on a whole spectrum of morality? You know, we, we see in Genesis 3, at the beginning of Scripture, that the tree that the humans were told not to eat from uh, was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because we were not created to define good and evil in our own eyes. God tells them, he says, if you eat from it, you will surely die. Because that's what kills us, is the belief that we can define good and evil in our own eyes. And so humanity, we're unable to define ethics and morality on our own because each person has their own definition of it. For one group to like set the rules is a form of absolutism that is incompatible with it. We cannot set those rules and say this is what the truth is if we believe that absolutes cannot be part of it. So where do we where do we see this creeping into our, our individual faith today? How does this how does this uh, show up in our lives? Well, I think it it it's uh, behaviorism. It's the belief that I can behave. Um, according to the gospel without the blood of Jesus or without uh, the Holy Spirit moving in my life. It's something that I have to each morning muster up in myself to be a good boy, be a good Christian boy today, instead of begging the Spirit, you know, to change uh, fundamentally who I am and in each moment. So um, <clears throat> I think that's a part of it. And um, go ahead. What an exhausting way to go through life. <laughs> Yeah, the, the weight of the weight of the world is literally on my shoulders. Like I, like my whole existence is all on me. Uh, I've got to be good enough. I've got to strive harder. I've got to. I've got to work to define my reality around me. Like it's just all on you. Yeah, you better pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Clutch the bathroom sink real tight when you give yourself that pep talk in the morning. Like that. That's a, that's a lot of responsibility and weight on your shoulders. And as opposed to just waking up and feet on the floor saying, Lord, I, I, I serve today. I choose to serve you because um, you have 
woken me up this morning. Yeah. And I, I choose to serve you and I know it's not going to be great. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's, I was thinking that like, gosh, every, for, for somebody who has a worldview like this with, without God, without anything beyond what we see here, um, when you face some struggle in life or just you, you, we all have bad days or, you know, string of bad days. I mean, we've come through a string of bad years here. Uh, and like, it's just, it's all on you to fix it and figure it out where, you know, for us as Christians, we can, we can recognize the world is broken around us. Um, however I got here, it might be my fault. It might be just the, the consequences of the world around me. Um, but I've got somebody greater that I can lean on through this that who can help carry me through this. There's, there's a hope beyond this moment. Um, and even beyond the future here in time, uh, that, that sustains me and carries me through that. Yeah. I mean, there's no sense of grace, you know, for, for others, but for yourself in this worldview. And, um, like I am relieved at the end of the day where I can go, Oh, thank God there's another day. Cause right. I didn't do that. One. <laughs> I did not, I did no not parent well. I wasn't, you know, super kind to the people around me. Uh, but God gives me another day and he gives me the grace for that day as well. Um, and I mean, what a relief. Hmm. I, I just opened to this page in this book, um, Disappearing Church by Mark Sayers, who I mentioned before. Um, it, it's just a great book just on the direction of the church um, into the post-Christian world, because we're, we're kind of exiting the, the Christian culture of the you know, latter half of the 20th century and the er, you know, early 21st, and now we see the numbers in, in the faith are kind of dropping. But like you said, Adam, like the, the need for faith and for grace— um, so when he says third culture, he's talking about post-Christian culture, but he says, to be shaped by grace in a culture of self, the most countercultural act one can commit in the third culture is to break its only taboo, to commit self-disobedience. Yeah, if we, if, we, if we deny ourselves the things that we believe will bring us joy and happiness, like that is the Christian life. Like not to say that all your life is lived in, in complete despair because you're denying yourself, but the belief that my, what I want is, is not the primary thing. What God wants, what my neighbor wants, how can I serve? How can I give of myself today in service to God and others? That is the, the Christian life. Um, and self-disobedience is so contrary to, to our world today, where if you want something, you go get it, you go do it because you, you've earned it. You deserve it. Like you're a human, like you do, you speak your truth, that kind of thing. But no, it's how, how can I give of myself today for the sake of another, for the sake of the glory of God? As I was thinking about, as you were talking about that, Aiden, um, one of the other things that the, the, the Christian worldview gives that like secular humanism doesn't is meaning. There's, there's no meaning to anything that happens in secular humanism. It's, there, it's just a series of events. Uh, whereas for us as Christians, we can, we can look at the world around us. We can, we can see uh, God working through things that happen, uh, God bringing good out of bad things that happen to us. Not necessarily that God causes those bad things, but that God brings meaning from them. Um, and, and just meaning in suffering, meaning in joy, meaning in life, uh, that's completely lacking in something like secular humanism where I just make my own meaning. And I, I try to define what's going on in my life. And when something bad happens, I have to 
you know, try to figure out what, what's the meaning behind this or make my own. Well, uh, again, I mean, we could, we've said here, we could talk about this all day long, but, uh, yeah, just a, a lot of, a lot of good conversation here about a, a, a worldview that's maybe more pervasive around us than we may realize. And one that kind of seeps in very easily to the Christian life, uh, when we're not kind of paying attention, or even if we are, uh, we may find ourselves thinking similar thoughts or being influenced along these lines. So, uh, again, a good reminder to to be in the Word, to be around other Christians, believers who can uh, encourage us, keep us uh, kind of on the, the right track here, um, believing the things that God's Word teaches us and not the stuff that we pick up from the world around us. So, thanks, guys. All right, in our next segment here, I'm joined again by Pastor Rob and Adam uh, as we are going through the Sermon on the Mount uh, using just our Bibles, so we're not coming with all sorts of notes, and uh, reading through uh, Jesus' longest teaching that we have uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. And we are coming up today to Matthew uh, 6, starting at verse 19, where Jesus talks to us about laying up treasures in heaven. So Adam, you want to read that for us? I will. It says... Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. All right. Easy teaching from Jesus here. This <laughs> oh, yeah. very well, straightforward and clear. Take care of the I one. <laughs> right. I th- as we were reading through that again, it's like the you know, that first section about the treasures on earth uh, versus treasures in heaven, like that's a I think a fairly well-known section and even the the end part of it of the two masters um you know can't serve both god and money uh that middle paragraph there about the eye as the lamp of the body um that's probably the one that that most people would go what right it (laughs) does take a little um digging in on that one but but i i would want to say on that first one i think it does follow exactly the context here because in all of the previous uh, warnings Jesus gave on the prayer, um, giving the, the alms, the prayer, and the fasting, he, the, the temptation or the, the twist was you get popular opinion. You know, people say, oh, good job. Mm-hmm. And the, I think that's the treasure on earth, the commendation of people he's talking about here, or that would follow in this teaching. So he's saying... Don't lay up. Don't don't do these pious acts for the praise. Yeah, of other yeah. people. Mm-hmm. It's not that the pious acts are wrong, but the praise of people can be fickle, right? And can be what twisted into an empty show. And certainly, the moth and the rust is the destructive, and it can be taken away. So the, that kind of stuff is fleeting. Now, what would you say is the treasure of in heaven? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. 
I think I, I got the idea, but I don't, I struggle to put it into words. Sure. I'm with you. I, I think, um, grasping at the words for it, it's, uh, it, it's the, the righteousness we have because of Jesus, the, the hope that we have that is in the, um, eternal life we have in Christ, uh, that's that treasure for us, uh, in heaven, um, that we are declared righteous on account of what Jesus has done for us, that's that treasure that we've got, I think. Mm-hmm. And how do you lay that up? What, what, what does that convey to you? I like asking the questions. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, maybe a part of the answer to that question is sort of um, a devaluation of the things of this earth, meaning that... Um, I mean, certainly we're not going to say it's it's wrong to have uh, nice things and good things and helpful things, but um, realizing that they're uh, a means and not an ends to our joy and our hope, um, you know, and that our, our ends are, are in Christ. It's cool how the Bible all fits together, because in my mind, I'm, I'm working on, I don't know when this is going to air, but I'm working on Luke 16, where he says, what is... What is uh, valuable? To, I can't remember the. It's not valuable. What is valuable to man is an is an abomination to the Lord. Mm-hmm. What what is exalted among man is a, an abomination to the Lord. And I think it fits right in with all of this thing. And and I, just calling the attention to our role in culture and how a godless world or a ungodly world can value something that, as a Christian, it's not important. So what about the next section there? The, uh, the eye being the lamp of the body, which, I mean, we kind of, we kind of have a, a similar idiom maybe in English of like the, the eyes are kind of the window mm-hmm. to, uh, the soul. to the soul. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and know, what you let in. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the eye, what, what, we, what we behold... Uh, that that's not just external. That's something that works into us. Um, and so if we're bringing in darkness, then that darkness is inside of us too. Yeah, thank you. Because I was just, it doesn't follow in my head the, what you see and the, the light in your, your body will be full of light. I mean, and I know those are big concepts in Scripture, um, but... It's just an interesting phraseology. Right. Yeah, Jesus is not saying that we become this glowing, you know, <laughs> right. radiant being. Um, he's speaking a little more metaphorically here. Light in terms of, like, the opposite of the, the darkness of sin and death and the world around so us. So do you think, I, I hear you saying, what are you focusing on in life? Sure. So in that sense, could... I, the eye of the uh, whole body be your your values, what you value? I think in the broad scheme of things, I think that's exactly it. You know, what you're, what you're going after in life, and that's certainly a values question. Right. Which certainly follows, because when you just kind of read it through at face value, you kind of, it, it, it seems a little 
out of place. Like, why is this here? Mm-hmm. But, exactly. But from that value kind of concept, well, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about right before that. What are you valuing? Are you valuing the praise of this world, or are you valuing the uh, the eternal uh, praise of our Father in heaven because of what Jesus has done? Not because of what we've done, but because of his righteousness for us. Um, so that's then kind of following maybe in a broader conversation here is what are you, what are you valuing? What are you putting into yourself? Um, that's going to have greater effect than you think. What, what do you think is a struggle here for, you know, t- 2022 American Christian or Grand Rapids person? I think sometimes we just get caught up in the pursuit of, I guess, simple as it sounds, we get caught up in the pursuit of stuff. Yeah. Stuff or better stuff, you know. One of the things we talked about before, just if it makes me feel good, then it must be good. And I think that's an American value now. And that can be, that, that can go squirrely too, very fast. And the I becomes the, that sense of self-fulfillment, which we want people to be self-fulfilled. And that's a good thing on its own, but it can be careful or, it has to be tempered with the teaching of truth that there are some things that actually feel good that are dangerous for you. And maybe that's the, the, um, the last sentence there. If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? You've been totally fooled or blinded, and that can happen to all of us. I'm not trying to cast stones on somebody else's house, but that, that's a word for me. And I think that then flows right into the you know the final part of what Jesus is saying here. You know, he circles back around to money, but but the point of the you can't serve two masters. There's there's we're we're gonna naturally want to follow one thing over another thing, and what are we gonna give our lives to? What are we gonna uh, you know point our desires toward? Is it gonna be the things of God, or is it gonna be the things of the world, or the things that I want, or? Uh, well, I thought you hit the nail on the head one of your messages a while ago about where Jesus talked about your hate your own family, mm. you know, over me. Yep. And it's not hate in the sense of be repulsed by them, but there's a top preference and then there's a second tier preference. Right. And, and that's a Hebrewism that comes through in that, you know, love and hate dichotomy. Right. And clearly that's there's some things that are second tier for us as Christians. Do we have to take care of some things? Absolutely. Do we have to love them? Mm, no. I've just heard the the axiom before of um, you know that you cannot serve God in money, but you can serve God through your money. You should love God, and through everything you have and through everything you do, the love that you have for God should be expressed in those things or through those things. And yet we're so twisted we can make that love of God through our money become a, a, a show that he just talked about in the right. hypocrisy. An idol unto itself. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, Jesus calling that out here at the end of this section, before moving into the next one, uh, you know, we can't serve God and money, that, that money is such a, even in Jesus' day, money is such a dangerous and and uh, easily misused thing that it can it can quickly become 
a god to us. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure this is, uh, is this mammon yeah. here? Uh, uh, I would assume it is. I, I would assume yeah. so too, which is, you know, kind of in, in the, in the middle ages kind of gets personified almost as its own deity. Um, you know, this deity of greed and, uh, worldly possessions and all that kind of stuff that it's, uh, it, it, so quickly turns into a god for us. Well, great. I think this is uh, a good conversation again on a, a, another teaching of Jesus here as we continue to walk our way through the Sermon on the Mount. So thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Everyday Disciples. Everyday Disciples is part of the online ministry of St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Grand Rapids. We're striving to be followers of Jesus wherever we are, and we hope you'll join us on that journey. If you found this podcast helpful in your spiritual journey, we'd be honored if you would rate us and review us wherever you listen. It helps people find us and get the good news about Jesus out there to the world. If you've got questions or suggestions for things that you'd like to hear about on Everyday Disciples, let us know with an email to media at stmatthewgr.com.